Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, you're listening to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me is my co-host, as always, Joshua Gray today? Gray. Yes, Gray. Okay. I'm I'm Joshua Gray. Just today. making sure you weren't yeah. adapting the persona of another World War II general. Oh, I'm over this. I'm okay. Over. We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> great. Yeah, see, you take a week off and you miss all the, the updates. All so right. so yeah. how was Veterans Day? It was great. It was yeah. really good. It was good to uh, spend some time with my kids and, you know, in the middle of the week, it's it's not something you, you usually get to do, especially now the sun's going down earlier and all that stuff. So, you know, I went outside, played a little horse with my kid and it was fun. Yeah, it was a it was a much different Veterans Day than I think we're used to here. Uh, you know, every year we do a lot of celebrations with uh, you know community groups. We have the the Masons come down to a burger burn. We have the Las Vegas Cruising Society that does their car show. So this year was a little bit more low key, unfortunately. But uh, I know we, we got to spend some time with a, a 99 year old Marine veteran. That's uh, awesome. One of the first female veterans came out here to celebrate her birthday and the Marine Corps birthday. Nice together. So we That's got awesome. to got to meet her and. That was a pretty awesome experience. So, you know, we're still doing a lot of great things for veterans, even though, unfortunately, we weren't able to have the... Uh, well, I, I did miss the car show. You know, I, I, I did, you know, mm-hmm. gen- genuinely miss the car show. So, so to make up for that, I uh, invited one of my neighbors over to just stare at my car for about five minutes. <laughs> and then, you know, I kicked him out and gave him a hamburger. So, yeah, it was great. Uh, I can't even get away with that. Because a 2015 <laughs> Toyota Prius is yeah, exactly Yeah, you're not... Noteworthy. Nobody wants to see that. Not even you want to see that. John, <laughs> let's be honest. So, of course, November being uh, Veterans Day, Marine Corps birthday, a lot of big events going on. Uh, but one event coming up next week is the Great American Smokeout. Yes. And this one's a, a really big event that we do every year because, you know, so many veterans, you know, are smokers, have history of smoking. And it's something that, you know, we want to make sure that we address. And, of course, Josh and I aren't going to be the ones talking about this because we're not, you know, we're not qualified for this topic. I am but... not a smoker. <laughs> I'm barely a secondhand smoker. <laughs> well, we do have uh, two very qualified people here with us. We have Dr. Jason Moritzen and Dr. Melissa Levon. And uh, you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, thanks for having me today. So I'm uh, Dr. Jason Moritzen. I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, right now I'm an employee here at the VA uh, as the program manager of the Addictive Disorder Treatment Program. Okay, great. And Dr. Levon? Yes, I am Dr. Levon. I'm a psychologist in ADTP also, but I'm my, I also have another role as the lead tobacco cessation clinician. So I am aware of all of the different, uh, different uh, treatment options that we have available to our veterans here at the hospital. Great. Excellent. So with smoking being something that it's been kind of dwindling over the years, according to some facts I pulled up from the CDC, um, about 32.4 million Americans still smoke cigarettes, and it remains across the world the largest single preventable preventable cause of death and illness. So while it's something that's gone down, they say from about 42% of the American population in 1965 to about 13% in 2019, you know, it's gone down quite a bit, but it's something that, that still affects Americans and especially veterans these days. Um, and I say that about 30% of uh, U.S. military veterans use some form of tobacco product. Uh, tobacco product use was higher among veterans than among non-veterans for males and females across all age groups. Why do you think veterans are so much more likely to become tobacco users? 
you know, my, my, my first thought on that is uh, I think it's important to kind of understand the, the culture of the military. Um, and that's sort of been ingrained. Tobacco and, cult, and military culture has been somewhat ingrained. Um, if you look back back in the, you know, 100 years ago, they were providing tobacco in rations. Yeah, it was actually up until 1975. Yeah, yeah, that surprised me. And so they weren't MREs at the time when they switched over to MREs is kind of when they stopped, when they pulled tobacco out of them. Um, so I think that tobacco companies definitely targeted the, the military culture a lot. Um, you know, there's that old saying, like, smoke if you got them, if you don't do push-ups. Um, <laughs> and so I think that in order to avoid doing push-ups, you have to smoke, I guess. Um, and so I think that tobacco has been kind of tied into the military culture from the beginning. Um, myself, I've been sitting out in the field or in a hangar sometimes for hours and hours and the boredom sets in. Um, and everyone who's ever been around the military knows that although we work hard, there's also a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think sometimes that hurry up and wait and that sitting around and that boredom definitely gives you some sort of makes you want to do something. And smoking is one option to do during that time. So you're a veteran yourself? Yes, correct? sir. Yeah. Oh, when did you serve and uh, what branch? So I was in the Army uh, right before I came here to the VA, so pretty recently. Okay. And then I'm still serving the National Guard, actually. So. Okay. And Dr. Levon, were you? Uh, no, I'm not a veteran. Okay. No. So with you being the Army, so Josh and I are Air Force veterans. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, the culture is drastically different. I've worked in a multi-service unit. I deployed with Army. So I know how things are, you know, very different, especially when you're downrange. Um, you know, do you see a lot more people who pick up bad habits like when they're in the military as opposed to beforehand? Yeah, I do see a lot of that. I think, like you say, like, especially downrange, um, you know, when I was in Iraq, there's just a lot of time to just sit around. You're, you're busy, you work hard, but there's a lot of hours in the week. And if those hours aren't filled with family and driving and washing cars and cleaning dishes and all the other things, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of hours to kill. Um, and so I did see that a lot with smoking, but with other bad habits as well. Just people trying to fill their time um, while they've got so much downtime. Yeah. Now, one thing that I had read, and this is a, fam a famous memo that went out a few years back about you know, from Big Tobacco. And it's kind of one of their little inside memos that was, wasn't supposed to see the light of day. But uh, they target military because they, quote, said military are less educated, part of the, quote, wrong crowd, and that they have limited job prospects. Um, knowing that that's something that they are looking for in the way that they see the military, I mean, do you guys feel like you're fighting an uphill battle trying to, to fight that kind of stigma? Yeah, I think, I think you have a good point that there's a lot of context in the military and smoking. And some of those things, like some of the perceptions of the military, definitely um, may, military members may be seen as more vulnerable to, to picking up smoking. Well, I know that, you know, when I was in, and granted, I joined at a later date. That was 2007. But I'd heard stories about you know, people in basic training, like you said, smoke them if you got them, if not do push-ups. you know, yeah. we, we had a tobacco free basic training. And actually when I was in the air force had a strict rule about all training was smoke free. Mm -hmm. So if you had gone back for, you know, what we call like tech school upgrade training, uh, am I, or AIT for you guys? Mm -hmm. Um, we weren't allowed to smoke even if we were past the point of basic training. If you were in any PME, anything like that, you were not, you know, if you were in senior NCO Academy, you were not allowed to smoke while you were, while you were in, yeah. an, in a student status. Um, one of the things I want to ask about is, you know, you talked about the time when, you know, there were rap, there were, there were cigarettes and rations. Um, and I know over the last couple of decades, especially the last decade and a half or so, there's been a huge push in the military to get tobacco out Right. Similar to like what John was talking about, 
but the the population that we serve is generally of the the age from from the time when you got uh, cigarettes in in your in your in your rations and things like mm-hmm. that. So are are you expecting to see like like does it like lag now with like awareness for smoking and things like that? And are you expecting that to change as kind of like the folks who have been in the military more recently start to then cycle into the VA system more? Yeah, you know, it may stand to reason that sort of the older veterans may be more le- more likely to smoke, and the younger veterans less likely because of some of these things you've talked about. Um, I would suspect that to some degree it would lag, uh, or excuse me, that to some degree there'd be a decrease, um, but not as much. If you look at the numbers, like the military is still smoking significantly higher than the than the civilian population, and I think that goes to speak towards some of the things that we've been talking about earlier. So, to answer your question along, and, and, and to answer a short question long, I'd say yes. But not not to the degree that we'd we'd like to see. How, how is vaping like? I I, I know all, almost all of my friends who smoke now are now vapors. They don't they don't smoke smoke. So how does vaping and e-cigarettes and things like that? How does that factor in? Well, um, I'll I'll take this to answer this question. Um, yeah, some a lot of people think that vaping is safer just because of all the added chemicals that uh, tobacco companies put in cigarettes are not present in vaping. However, the the behavior is still the same. You're still putting something in your mouth. You're getting the nicotine rush. It still feels good. So you're still doing that that same thing. You're still uh, needing to to go have that that nicotine fix. Um, And then oftentimes uh, people who are vaping, sometimes since it is so similar, they might go back to smoking cigarettes. So the the danger is still there. Not to mention that there's... um, those uh, exploding vape pens that were out a few years ago, there's th- that risk that isn't present with the cigarettes, but it, it's still a risk that, that people have faced. How much, and this maybe may, uh, comes into some of the younger audience, not so much the veterans, but how many people do you think are going from, almost reverse, going from vaping to smoking because of maybe it's less stigmatized to vape? Well, I know that vape pens are marketed as that to a large degree, and they say it's safer to vape, and so instead of smoking, it's an alternative to smoking. Um, and so I think it's, it, it is pretty common. But you're still building that associative behavior, and you're still mm-hmm. building the, in some cases, the chemical addiction if you actually have nicotine in that, correct? Absolutely, yes, yeah. definitely. So, it's not, like I said, it's something that's probably affecting more of the younger generation because, you know, Vaping for us wasn't really a thing until, you know, what, five, ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, like the last two or three years, really. Yeah. yeah. And I think the risk with vaping is a lot of people think it's safer, so they do more of it. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, well, this is safer, so I can smoke all day. And then they're less careful with their secondhand smoke. I've been blown with a smoke full of vape a lot more recently than I have been a, smoke, a, a, you know, a mouthful of a cigarette smoke. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. These are fat-free Oreos, and then half of the container later, you're uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. not, not doing yourself any, 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 uh, any good. Coming from someone who ate a whole row of fat-free Oreos last night. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't mean for you to feel attacked right now. We'll have another podcast episode on that one. (laughs) Um, Just on that topic, is there a danger from secondhand vaping? Is that that a thing? You know, I'm not 100% sure about that. That's a good question. I could look more into it. It stands to reason there would be, though. Um, You know, you're you're blowing those chemicals out there. There has to be chemicals in, in in, in the secondhand vape as well. Sure, it's not the same chemicals that are in uh, cigarettes, but at the same time, it's not the air that we're breathing uh, naturally. So mm-hmm. there's got to be some risk there. I think safer doesn't mean safe. It just might be a little bit slightly better. That's good sure. choice words. Slightly less worse. 
So with some of these people who, who've been so ingrained into tobacco use or smoking culture, you know, it's sometimes tough to really just, you know, kind of explain to them, you know, what are the benefits, you know. So other than being healthier, smelling better, saving money, having better oral hygiene, living longer, being less susceptible to respiratory illnesses, having better cardiovascular endurance, and probably a decreased chance of heart disease, cancer, and erectile dysfunction, other than those things, what would be a motivation to tell somebody, hey, maybe quit smoking? That's quite a list already of great <laughs> reasons why to, somebody would want to quit smoking. Um, I actually have a, a really great answer that people don't tend to think about for this question. Um, I, I asked a, a few people what they liked about being non-smokers after they've successfully quit, and they said it's about the freedom. So if you think about uh, somebody who is smoking a pack a day, they are thinking about when are they going to have that next cigarette? Do they have enough to last the day? Do they need to go buy more? They're a slave to that that cigarette. And so once uh, people are able to, to quit smoking, they have a, a sense of freedom, a sense of weight lifted off of them because they're not being driven by that urge to smoke. Does quitting smoking make you a better podcast host? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Should I start smoking to quit smoking and be a better podcast host? I mean, you couldn't be any worse. So. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> no, so with, you know, so many people who did smoke, you know, especially like I was saying, like downrange and things like that, um, are there ways to kind of, when they change scenery, to kind of like use that as an excuse to, to you know, help them to move along from smoking? Because I don't like myself. So when I, was, when I was in Afghanistan, I actually smoked more often. I had in the past been a you know, drinking smoker, where if I was with some friends, you know, I would have one or two cigarettes. But being in Afghanistan and having it be like, well, we're all sitting here with nothing to do. You know, there were, I, I found myself like actually smoking. And it wasn't until I came back from Afghanistan where I was like, oh, well, I'm not there anymore. I should probably not do this anymore. I mean, is that something that you guys kind of use to, to encourage people to not smoke? Yeah, I think when you have transitions in your life, it's a great time to... To, to, it's a great time to make changes. Um, so you, what you said is, is a perfect example. When you get home from theater, it's a great time to sort of turn over that new leaf and start smoking. Um, honestly, when I was in theater, I didn't necessarily put a whole lot of focus on helping people stop smoking because it's a stressful, lonely, boring, busy environment anyway. Mm -hmm. And So maybe that's not necessarily the best time is what I told most people. But when you come home from theater, it's a great time. Um, I think the Great American Smokehouse is another great time. Um, it's sort of like a time to sort of r r reset everything, even though our lives may not be changing drastically next week. When we have the Great American Smoke Out, it's still kind of a time to uh, turn over a new leaf and make a make a change. Yeah, set that quit date. Exactly. Um, yeah. Also, yeah, the, the change of scenery, the change of environment is one of the, the primary things that we encourage people who are wanting to quit smoking to do. So uh, a lot of times people smoke in familiar environments and they, they get used to smoking there. And so changing the environment will definitely help people reduce how much they're smoking and quit altogether. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back. We'll look at some of the options, both clinical and non-clinical, that the VA offers for quitting smoking. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. 
For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. I may never have met you. We don't go way back. Maybe we wouldn't even be friends if we did. But when you wear a mask, you have my respect. Because your mask doesn't protect you. It protects me. I wear my mask to protect you. Mask up, America. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Question, what will you find on all over-the-counter or OTC medicine packages to help you choose the right drug and use it safely? The answer, the drug facts label. This label lists the medicine's active ingredients and purpose, how much to take, and warnings you should know before using it. Remember, even OTC medicines you buy without a prescription can cause side effects you don't want. So follow the information listed on the drug facts label. For more information, visit FDA.gov slash drug facts label. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette. Joining me, I have Joshua Gray and Dr. Melissa Levon and Dr. Jason Morrison. And we are here talking about the Great American Smokeout. So we spent about 15 minutes talking about, you know, all of the reasons that, you know, military people do smoke, why they shouldn't smoke. But let's talk about how to get them to quit. What exactly is the Great American Smokeout? So the Great American Smokeout is uh, a national, yeah, a national yearly event that was created by the American Cancer Society uh, to help encourage people to, to set a quit date. And so it occurs every year on the third Thursday of November. So this year it's going to be November 19th. And uh, it's a, like I said, it's national. So everybody uh, around the, the country uh, will be doing something to say, let's get people quitting smoking. And so in previous years, we've had some uh, table set up to give information about what sort of options are available here at the VA to help people quit smoking. But uh, this year, it's a little bit different. So this podcast is a, a great way to get that same message out. Um, yeah. Psychologically, why is it important to actually set that date instead of just being kind of like this, you know, I'm going to quit smoking, you know, eventually? Well, it, it gives you a, a time frame, a sense of urgency when you say, OK, I'm going to quit on November 19th versus I'm going to quit someday. Quitting someday might never happen. But once you have that date in mind, you can start to take the steps to initiate the process, uh, talking to, to somebody, reaching out for help, taking that, that first step to, to quitting. So what options does the VA present for being, you know, taking that next step to quit? Yeah, so the VA has a, a few different options available. When we have in-person programming, uh, we have a, a group in the behavioral health clinic on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock. Uh, anybody can walk in and join that group. You don't have to be an ADTP or part of the behavioral health clinic. You just uh, walk in, let them know that you're ready to quit smoking, and they'll, they'll send you to the group. Uh, we also have uh, mental health care professionals integrated within primary care. And so they can, uh, people who are interested in quitting smoking can talk to their primary care provider and get directed to PCMHI, which stands for Primary Care Mental Health Integration. And uh, they can provide short-term assistance to help people quit smoking on an individual basis. 
We also have uh, prescribers within uh, the pharmacy that can prescribe the different medication options for helping people quit smoking. So that's the, the nicotine replacement therapies, the lozenges, the gum, patches, but also there's uh, Wellbutrin and Chantix that are non-nicotine replacement therapy options that are commonly prescribed by the, the VA. And then, and so in order to, to get connected to one of those pharmacists, uh, you'd just need a, to call the appointment call center, that, which is 702-791-9024, and let them know that you're interested in speaking to pharmacy about quitting tobacco. Of, of course, no podcast here mm-hmm. lately would be complete without asking about coronavirus. Uh, how has that impacted um, how you go about getting people to quit smoking? And also, have you seen more interest, especially since it's a respiratory disease mm-hmm. and you're more susceptible to having some of the more serious complications with it if you are a smoker? Um, how is that, both for good um, and, and as, a, as a challenge, how is that, how has coronavirus impacted what you guys are doing? Well, um, the the main difference that is is that our, our group is in person, and we had had to we have to shut it down because of the precautions. But the other services I just mentioned, PCMHI, they're available to do uh, appointments over VA Video Connect. The pharmacy has always done the the telephone calls for the the prescriptions, so that that hasn't changed. As for far as people asking to, to quit smoking. I personally haven't seen an uptick in, in requests, but maybe they're they're talking to primary care providers, other mental health professionals, other professionals around the hospital to, to initiate that. But I haven't seen an uptick in, in my own clinical. Yeah, we try, we, we've always tried to make it very easy. So even before COVID, so much of our tobacco cessation was done virtually. Um, and so I think that the resources available haven't changed drastically. We still have great resources and not a whole lot of difference whether we do it in person or virtually. Um, as far as the motivation, I do see a lot of people that sort of, I see people in kind of two schools. On one side, they say, oh, I'm going to wait till COVID's over. We saw that more four, five, six, 30 months ago whenever COVID started. <laughs> um, but so we saw a lot of people that said, I'm going to wait till after COVID's over to start my new new lifestyle. I'm gonna get, and, But now that it's been dragging on for a while, you are seeing people realize that, net, that now's really the day to change. I think that goes back to what Dr. Levon was saying is to, I would encourage everybody to, to set your date. Set your date when you're going to stop smoking, and if that and that date shouldn't necessarily wait till COVID is over. So, with a lot of people who you know quit, it's not necessarily like okay, they got it the first try, and I'm just never smoking again. A lot of times, people tend to relapse as with any addictive behavior. Um, what are some of the challenges that people need to look for to prevent them from relapsing? Well, a little bit of what I mentioned earlier about people tend to smoke in familiar places. So let's take somebody's car for an example. People who smoke on their drive to work, whenever they get in the car, they have this urge to just reach for that pack of cigarettes and light up before they even really know it. And so some of the things that they want to be making sure of are where are the places that I commonly smoke? Is it easy for me to just pick up a, a cigarette in that, those places? What can I do to make it a lot more difficult? Some people throw their cigarettes away. Some people hide their cigarettes or put them in a more difficult location. So it, they have to really think about what they're doing and think about, oh, I do want to quit. I don't want to be reaching for that automatically. You know, I, th- I think we've done a lot here, especially with VA, as far as trying to remove some of that temptation because you know we went smoke-free last October. Um, you know, we removed all of the smoke shacks from the facility and, you, you know, employees have to walk off property to be able to smoke. And I'm sure that's probably caused some consternation, but I'm sure it's also driven more people to, to want to quit. But 
you know, with Las Vegas being a more smoking-friendly city than, I guess, most American cities, do you guys find an additional challenge being here? Yeah, I think Las Vegas, the difficulty with, with uh, any addiction, particularly smoking, is is like the classical conditioning. If you've got triggers everywhere, mm-hmm. so many people associate smoking with other things. They associate with gambling or they associate with drinking or they associate with buffets or anything else. And all these triggers are things that we see everywhere. Um, and so I think that Las Vegas is a very difficult town for people who have who, who have difficulties with addictions um, because the triggers are everywhere. And in other locations where they have banned smoking indoors, there's a greater stigma for, for those folks who are smoking that they have to take that extra effort to go outside no matter where they are. But with the casinos and bars still allowing smoking inside, there's that removal of that stigma. It's not as stigmatized, so people don't have that that same drive that they might have to, to quit smoking when they're in, in Las Vegas. With you know, This is a little bit of a different topic, but with Nevada being a place where marijuana is legal or decriminalized, um, do you see people who you know maybe were former smokers moving to marijuana and not knowing that some of the same you know, the same dangers that exist with smoking also exist with marijuana? I don't know if we see people necessarily moving from one to the other so much, but we do see a lot of people with marijuana smoking because they they say and they think that it's perfectly safe. It's legal, therefore it must be safe. And I would share the same thing like what you started out with, uh, that tobacco safe, but it kills half a million people a year for from preventable diseases. And though we don't have numbers on how much marijuana affects it, I think it's it's similar in that sense that even though it's legal, even though it's in quote safe, um, there's clearly some negative consequences associated with it. Do you see a lot of people come into this program that aren't tobacco or nicotine smokers? Yeah. So yes. I mean, I think that we have, so we have a tobacco, tobacco cessation program. And so obviously those are all tobacco users, Mm -hmm. but outside of that, um, you know, within ADTP, the addictive disorder treatment program, we treat any sort of addiction. So anything from cannabis to drugs and alcohol to gambling addiction, we treat some sex addiction, uh, shopping addiction, and not all those people are smokers, but there is a strong association with smoking and these other behaviors that I've talked about. And we are talking a lot about smoking, but uh, chewing tobacco is another common thing uh, that I have seen uh, veterans come in asking for help with. And that's something we also uh, treat in our tobacco cessation program, Uh, especially those uh, veterans who served on on ships where smoking would be a lot more dangerous. We see uh, more of those folks uh, using chewing tobacco or other sort of uh, tobacco products. Now, is... is the Great American Smokeout, is it aimed simply at smoking or is it tobacco use in general? It might have started as aiming at smoking because of the American Cancer Society, but chewing tobacco has a lot of uh, health risks as well and mouth cancer, throat cancer, and, and so forth. So uh, I think even though it is the Great American quote-unquote smokeout, I think we can tar- target all tobacco and nicotine products with the same push for um, getting people to, qu- to quit. Great. Well, Dr. Levon and Dr. Morrison, I thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, this is a great conversation. And for one more time, could you uh, give us the, the phone number and the resources for, uh, for veterans who, who do want to reach out for this? Absolutely. So you can talk to your primary care provider to talk to somebody, a mental health provider within primary care, PCMHI. They can provide individual services on a short-term basis to help people quit smoking. We have the, the group within the behavioral health clinic that when that will start back up when we return to in-person programming. That, that's on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock. 
you can call to get uh, connected to a, a pharmacist that can prescribe any of the, the different tobacco cessation medications. All you got to do is call 702-791-9024. And when you, the, somebody answers the phone, let them know that you're interested in talking to somebody about quitting tobacco. And then there's also some other services that are not with the VA, but there are still good resources out there. There's the, the Veterans Quit Line, which is uh, you can call 855-QUIT-VET. Uh, and they also have online services as well. So if you're not wanting to talk to somebody over the phone, they have web chat. You can just go online and get the resources for yourself as well. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we will see you in two weeks. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.